You can find today's scripture reading on page five of that coveted bulletin. <laughs> today's passage is from, the, is from John chapter 17, verses 13 to 19, and chapter 20, verses 19 to 23. Now I am coming to you, and I speak these things in the world so that they may have my joy completed in them. I have given them your word. The world hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I am not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. I sanctify myself for them so that they also may be sanctified by the truth. When it was evening on that first day of the week, the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked because they feared the Jews. Jesus came, stood among them, and said to them, Peace be with you. Having said this, he showed them his hands and his side. So the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. After saying this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. The word of the Lord. We are in a sermon series on John chapter 17. In that chapter, we have the longest recorded prayer of Jesus Christ. It's 26 verses. Jesus prayed this prayer right before he was taken away to be tried and to be crucified. And it's clear that Jesus knew. As he was praying this prayer, he knew this was his last extended time to be with and to pray with his followers. He says in verse 1, and if you want to follow along with different cross-references as we go through, you can open up your Bible to John chapter 17. But there in verse 1, he prays, he begins his prayer by saying, Father, the hour has come. So we know Jesus in this prayer is very aware about what's going to happen to him next. And he's not wasting any words at this moment. There's no fluffy prayer requests here. Jesus isn't praying that tomorrow I hope it'll be a sunny day or that his favorite team would win in the playoffs or anything like that. Here in this prayer, we have Jesus's deepest heart and his highest priorities for his followers. Here we have what is most important to Jesus. What he would see and say is most central to being a Christian. And let's do a quick review to what we've seen so far in this series. Jesus prays at the beginning of this prayer for a relationship. That we would be brought into the relationship of love and delight within the triune God. And that blows our minds to think about it. That we would know this love and this delight that was there before the world even existed. He says, I, I am doing all that I am doing so they would know you, the only true God. Know you in relationship. He prays for our joy in the world. That's there, I think, in verse uh, in 13 and through 15. 
that our inner life would be filled up with the very joy that Jesus have, has. So he prays for relationship. He prays for joy. He prays for change. He says, I pray that they might not be of the world, that they might be sanctified, devoted, and holy, that our lives might be transformed. And then he prays for protection. He says, I'm not praying that you would take them out of the world, yet even in this world of trouble, that they would be protected from the evil one, from lies, and that even in our suffering, we would know that we are in his hands, that he uses it, and in him we overcome, no matter what trials we go through. So relationship, joy, change, protection, we would say, I think, all of us, that we would welcome these things in our lives. Thank you, Jesus, for praying for these things for me. Knowing God, joy, change for the better, protection from the dangers and the threats to my soul. Yes, I'm so glad Jesus prayed for these things. But today, we come to something that is just as central and just as important as all of these other things. But it might not be what we would ask Jesus for, maybe not at least at first. Maybe we wouldn't welcome it. And that is purpose. Jesus prays, and we can put up this slide. This is the summary of what Jesus prays in verse 18. He prays for his followers to have the same purpose in the world as he does. Verse 18, his prayer is, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Jesus says this same thing to his disciples when he appears to them after he rises from the dead. He says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. This theme of being sent, of purpose, is all throughout this prayer. Six times Jesus prays about this sentness, this concept of sentness. It's used to describe who Jesus is. He says in verse 3, in his prayer, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. So Jesus describes himself as the sent one. He says in John six twenty nine, this is the work of God, that you believe in the one whom he has sent. So that's how Jesus saw himself. I am the sent one. It's also used to describe in this prayer what it means to be a Christian. In verse 8, it says he's praying that they know for certain He's praying to the Father that I came from you, Father, and they have believed that you sent me. There it is again. So Jesus is saying to be a Christian means to believe that he is sent. He's been sent from the Father. In this prayer, it's also used to describe what the world is meant to conclude when they encounter Christians. Verse 21 and verse 23, Jesus says, may they be in us, may they be one so that the world may believe that you sent me. So that's something about Christians, especially in their corporate life together, would lead people who are unfamiliar with Jesus to go, I think I can believe that Jesus is the one sent from God. And then in verse 18, Jesus uses it to describe his followers. And if you look at it, it's actually not a prayer request. Jesus isn't asking for anything. He's more stating a fact. To be a Christian, along with this relationship we have with God, along with the joy that Jesus wants to fill us up with, along with 
the change in our lives that he wants to work in us, along with the protection that he promises to provide for us, he also gives us purpose. Now, you might say, that's not so bad. Everybody wants a purpose in life. Everybody wants a purpose greater than ourselves to live for, right? So why wouldn't we want, why wouldn't we welcome what Jesus says here? Here's how I would answer that. There is incredible meaning and significance here in this prayer, in that one sentence. But we can only really get the meaning and the significance of what Jesus is praying here when we confront the challenge that it also gives to us, especially to us in our modern world. And what is this challenge? Well, what Jesus prays here is very different than what we often hear, what we might often say to each other, maybe even say to ourselves, which is, find your purpose, right? Find your passion, find your purpose and live for it, which is good, but it's very different than what Jesus prays here. What Jesus prays here is fulfill the purpose you have been given and live for that. There's a podcast that I've been listening to for five years plus. It's called The Q Podcast, great podcast. Check it out. But at the beginning of this podcast, what they do to introduce uh, the, the show every time is the same series of quotes from different speakers. So there's like four or five quotes, and every time you hear the same quotes. So I've been hearing this one quote for like five years. Every time I listen to this podcast, and as I was studying this message, meditating on this part of Jesus' prayer, that quote just came back to me that I've been hearing for like five years, and it goes like this. I don't know who this person is, so I can't give them credit, but this is what they say. It's not what is the purpose of my life. It is what is the purpose that has been assigned. It's not what is the purpose of my life. It is what is the purpose that has been assigned. That is the teaching of Christianity. That is what Jesus prays here. And it's a challenge for us. We want to find our purpose. We want to look inside and set our own direction and purpose. Jesus says, there has been a purpose that is assigned. What is that purpose? Well, we're going to look at two points this morning. We're just going to take that one prayer of Jesus in verse 18 and break it into its two phrases. Jesus prays, as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. The key word in that phrase is the little word as. In order for us to understand the purpose given to us, we need to understand something of the purpose of Jesus. So first, as you sent me into the world. You can circle that little word as, if you've got a bulletin and you want to track and take notes, circle the word as. That's a key word in this verse. How was Jesus sent into the world? We have to understand that first. If we are sent as he has been sent, what does that mean? The theme of sentness, and I didn't realize this until this week, is not just a major theme in this prayer of Jesus, six times in his prayer, his final prayer for his followers. It's also 
one of the major themes in John's gospel. It's a theme in all the gospels. Jesus says things like, he who rejects me rejects the one who sent me in Matthew and in Mark. He says things like, I must, I must preach to other towns for this is why I was sent. But the gospel of John really brings this out and really focuses on this theme in the life of Jesus. Jesus is described as being sent by the Father almost 40 times, up to 40 times in the gospel of John. And most of the references are to Jesus speaking about himself. This is how he understood himself. This is how he understood his purpose and mission. So if we are to understand Jesus, we need to understand this whole concept of sentness. So from the context of the rest of the gospel of John, and the way that Jesus talks about being sent, the way that he speaks about his purpose, I want to share four main observations about Jesus' purpose. We'll have these on the screen. First, it is a purpose that is assigned, not chosen. In John 6, 38, Jesus says, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. In John 8, 42, Jesus says, I didn't come on my own, but he sent me. Well, this is the basic definition of being sent, right? To be sent means someone else has assigned and given you something to do. And then you do what they are asking you to do. That's what it means to be sent. It's their will that sets the agenda, not yours. And with Jesus, yes, he is the divine son. So his will is perfectly aligned and in perfect harmony with the Father. But Jesus, as the God-man, as a human being, had to learn obedience to this will throughout his life and continually remember my purpose is the purpose that has been assigned. These were the things that in Jesus' temptation he was being called to come off course from. Satan, when he tempted Jesus, was saying, no, do, that, do it this way, do it that way. This is your purpose. This is your assignment. And Jesus was faithful, remembering that is not what I have been sent to do. So first, purpose that is assigned, not chosen. Second, it's a purpose that took priority over all else in his life. John 4, after his encounter and conversation with the Samaritan woman, Jesus uh, met his disciples again. They came and they were wondering what just went on. They were wondering if he was hungry. They said, eat something, Rabbi. And he said, I have food to eat you know nothing about. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. So when we look at the life of Jesus, we see his entire life was lived on purpose. It was just as important to eating to him that he stay focused on his purpose and on his mission and what he was assigned to do at all times. So it was a purpose that took priority over all else. Thirdly, it is an incarnational purpose. Here Jesus says, Father, you have sent me into the world. Jesus wasn't just sent to the world. He was sent into the world to be sent somewhere. You can still maintain a level of distance and separateness. Think of uh, 
an ambassador in an embassy to a foreign country. I'm sent to this country, but you can live in the embassy, you can eat your food, you can speak your language and just say, I'll take care of my business, but I will remain distinct and separate according to my home country and culture. But to be sent into a country means to fully enter, to speak the language, to eat the food. And Jesus says he was sent into the world as the word made flesh. He fully entered into the world as one of us, experiencing the world in all of its brokenness, all of its pain, all of its need. He was sent to be fully human, to identify fully with us. It was an incarnational purpose. And lastly, we see it was a self-giving purpose. We already read this in the liturgy of our service, John 3, 16 and 17, well-known verses. God loves the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. God did not send, there's the word again, his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And there's the language of sending again. Here is the reason Jesus was sent. Because of the love of God. Because God loved, he gave. Because Jesus loved us, he gave himself that we might be saved through him. Love, what is love? It's a costly and unconditional commitment to another's good. And so from that we gain this insight into Jesus' purpose. He did not come to get for himself, but to give of himself. So Jesus' purpose was assigned, not chosen. It is a purpose that took priority over all of his life. It was an incarnational purpose, and it was a self-giving purpose. Let's look at where Jesus repeats this to his disciples after he rose from the dead. Look at chapter 20 there in your bulletin. The disciples had seen all of this in action. They had heard Jesus say this. We only have 40 times in the Gospel of John that's recorded, but Jesus probably said it 100 times or more. Jesus is the sent one. Jesus is the sent one. And somehow we are a part of this mission. We are sent. But look at where the disciples are after Jesus died in verse 19. They are locked up in a room out of fear. And we look at that and say, that's not very sent (laughs) to be hiding in a room with the doors locked. What changed? What moved them out? After hearing Jesus say so many times that he was the sent one, that he was the sent one, this finally is where they understood what that meant, that Jesus was sent into the world. This is where it finally clicked. What was Jesus' purpose right here? This is where they finally understood when Jesus said, this is the will of the one who sent me, that I would lose none of those he's given to me, but that I would raise them up on the last day. The purpose Jesus was assigned, the priority of his whole life above all else, why Jesus fully entered into the world as a human being, and what Jesus gave himself to. They understood when they saw his hands, when they saw his side, That's when it finally clicked, and they said, this was for me. That Jesus' purpose was to stand in my place 
to take the death that I deserve to die, to bear the judgment that I deserved, and then to rise with great victory, to draw me into the restoration and the renewal of resurrection. That's the purpose. And it hit them personally to the heart when Jesus stood right in front of them. They said, now we understand. Now we understand this at a personal level that you did this, Jesus, for me. And this is where all Christian purpose begins in verse 20. When it says, what was their response? They rejoiced. They rejoiced knowing that Jesus was sent to redeem them, restore them, to save them. That's where all Christian purpose must begin. Before we move to the as Jesus sends us, it's the joy of knowing that he was sent for us. So let's look at that second phrase. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Who is Jesus sending here? Well, we know it's the people who are standing right in front of him in chapter 20, his disciples, his apostles. We know that the disciples who heard this, they were sent. Christianity exists. We're here in this room today because those apostles heard what Jesus said and they moved out. They began to bear witness to what they had seen and heard about who Jesus was. They began to live life in light of his lordship and create communities that lived in light of their faith in Jesus Christ. But Jesus didn't just send those disciples and apostles. It says in verse 20, as Jesus is praying, I'm not just praying for them, I'm praying for all who believe in me because of their word. In verse 20, he says that. So Jesus here is praying for every Christian. Jesus is praying for his followers to have the same purpose as he does in the world. So if you are a Christian, Jesus is sending you. He's sending us in this prayer. So what does that mean for things? And these will be up on the slide as well. We have a purpose that is assigned and not chosen. Now, friends, if your faith is in Jesus Christ, you've been assigned a purpose in this world. And this is the challenge that I was talking about at the beginning of my message. If you are a Christian, you don't get to choose your purpose. You don't get to look inside and say, I want to find out what my purpose is. You don't get to look inside and search inside and say, what is my passion? And I'm going to do that. You have been sent into the world as Jesus was sent. And that is our purpose. This is both more ordinary and at the same time more extraordinary than any purpose that we could find and create for ourselves. Let me explain that. It's more ordinary because it doesn't mean that you have to become a celebrity, an influencer, the top of your class, or be some kind of full-time pastor or missionary or any of those things. One of my favorite passages that brings this out is in 1 Thessalonians, where the Apostle Paul is talking about purpose to a church that he started and planted. And he said in chapter 4, verse 11, 
make it your ambition, make it your purpose to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anyone. If we've thought about this whole idea of finding our purpose, if we've had that conversation, there's, there's a lot of pressure that comes with that. Nobody wants to come up with a purpose that says, my purpose is to be an average, ordinary person, <laughs> and I'm going to go for that. How exciting is that? But Paul here says, make it your ambition. Make it your ambition to live out your life, your ordinary life that God has given you, quietly, faithfully, so that your daily life might show something of Jesus to those who don't know him. For the vast majority of us, our purpose from Jesus is right in front of us. And so the pressure is off to find and create an amazing personal mission and purpose statement, to find some extraordinary purpose. God has given it to you. For most of us, it's right in front of us. It is to live with faithfulness the life that God has given us to live. It is very ordinary, but it is also extraordinary. There is no greater or higher purpose imaginable than to be sent by Jesus Christ himself to bear witness in word and deed to who he is, to extend the forgiveness of sins, the invitation into the shalom, the peace. Jesus says, peace be with you, the wholeness and the flourishing that is found in Jesus. You cannot find a purpose greater than that. So it is both ordinary and extraordinary. Secondly, we have a purpose that takes priority in our lives. This follows logically from what, what I just said. Jesus, our Redeemer and our Lord, risen and reigning, if he sends us into the world with a purpose, then his purpose comes first in our lives. And knowing that his purpose for us is to be full of his joy, to have shalom and peace and flourishing and wholeness, we trust his purpose for us is not just first, but is also best. And that is our overarching purpose, the one that we have been assigned by him. So we have a purpose that's assigned. It is a purpose that takes priority in our lives. It is also an incarnational purpose. And I put that in quotes. Maybe not the best word because incarnation means God made flesh, the word made flesh, God become a human being. But this word also does help us see what it does and doesn't look like for Jesus to send us into the world in contrast with other ways Jesus describes our relationship to the world in this prayer. He says, I am praying that they would be not of the world. So our purpose is not to assimilate, not to fit in, not to consume and get what we can from the world, nor it is to gain influence or power or popularity or success by worldly measures and metrics, not of the world. He also says, though, I'm not praying that they would be out of the world. So neither is our purpose to avoid and separate from the world and its beliefs and its lifestyles that would be different 
and not aligned with God's will and word and how we would want and seek to live. We are not to condemn the world from the outside, but we are to love the world from the inside. Jesus says, I'm sending you into the world to live a fully human life in the world for the sake of the world. That is what it means to have an incarnational purpose. And this means for the vast majority of us that we are not sent somewhere else, this incarnational purpose. We are sent to where we are, to the people and the places God has called us to be. So here's what you can do. After this sermon, here's your homework. Those of you who are followers of Jesus, you go home, you can go to work, or you sit down with your spouse, or when you're cleaning your house and the dishes, or when you go to take your kids to their next activity, or play their sports, you can tell yourself, I've been sent here. I've been sent here by Jesus. If you look in the bulletin, there's a great quote from a missiologist. His name's Samuel Escobar. He says, thousands of churches, we could say individual Christians as well, carry on business as usual without ever asking the simple question, why has God placed us as a community or as a person at this time, in this neighborhood, in this city, in this country, in this world? Jesus has called us into the world, into the places where he has already placed us. So it is an incarnational purpose. Lastly, we have a self-giving purpose. In John 13, 16 through 17, Jesus had just finished washing the feet of his disciples, which was the lowliest task of a household servant. And he says, I've given you an example that you do just as I have done for you. Truly, I tell you, a servant is not greater than his master, and a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. Leslie Newbegin was a great missiologist as well. He said, this as here means Christ's way. When we are sent into the world, we are sent not only for Christ's purpose, but to do and fulfill Christ's purpose in Christ's way. What is that? It's through the washing of feet. We see it in his hands and in his side. It's the way of self-giving love. The find your purpose approach to life is most often focused on what I'm going to get out of life. How can I achieve my goals? How can I get to success? How can I focus on my accomplishments? The purpose we have been assigned by Jesus is what can I give? Out of what I have been given, what can I give to bring life, forgiveness, peace to others in Jesus' name? We have a self-giving purpose. This morning, all that is really just laying a foundation for what this prayer means. What does that little word as mean? And I know It helps to be practical. It helps to have some practical examples. And there are many that we could give. There's all kinds of ways we can build on this foundation. I'd like to talk about two here to close out this message. 
two that are very relevant, very important, that make up a lot of our lives here in Orange County, and they're related, education and vocation. How does the purpose that we have been assigned by Jesus impact the way that we approach education and vocation? The purpose of education in school. Kids, you have moments, right, where you wonder, why do I have to go to school? What is the point of school? Is any, kid, any kids out there, do you wonder that? Why? Why do I have to learn algebra? Why do I need to know this history? We have those, those moments. What's the point of it all? Well, what I want to tell you is Jesus sent you to school. <laughs> and you're like, no, man, I thought there was a way out of it. But Why? Sometimes when we ask the question, why, and sometimes as parents, when we give that answer, or when we talk about, why am I in school, why am I in school, it goes like this, why do I have to do good in grade school? Well, so you can learn to do good in middle school. Why? So you could do good in high school and get good grades, so you could be at the top of your class. Why? So you can get into a good college. Why? So you can have a great career. Why? So you can fulfill your purpose. Right? To make money, to be comfortable, to have opportunity. Okay. How does that compare to the purpose that Jesus has given us and the reason Jesus has sent you to school? Why are you in school? Well, it's in order for you to learn truth about this world, to develop skills, to discover the ways that you've been gifted by God in order that you might bless and serve the world to learn to use and steward all that God has given you, all the ways that he has made you, so that others might come to know something of Jesus. That's why Jesus sent you to school. It's a different reason than we often think. And it's very important for us as students and parents to remember this. How much time, how much energy, how much blood and sweat and tears. Maybe not blood, but maybe. How much anxiety and pressure is associated with education, especially here in Orange County and places like it? It is important we step back and remember the purpose according to Jesus. It is not to get approval and recognition. I need to be better than other people. I need to compete and be at the head of this. Or to make sure even, this is a challenging one, that our kids have opportunity to do whatever they want to do. To be in control of their lives is another way to put it. Or to gain the advantage and the edge over other people to be ahead. To make sure you're ahead of and above other people. That's called power. How would it sound to you if I said, do you remember when Jesus said, I've been sent into the world to get power. To be above everyone else. To keep control of my life so that nobody else can impact my life because it's mine to gain advantage over others, to protect and ensure my security and comfort in life. That's not what Jesus said. He gave up his power in order to serve. He gave up his comfort. He took the lowliest form of a servant in order to give his life away to bless the world, and to save us. 
I think it's very urgent in our time that we remember this. Some of the most incredible kids that I've, that I've seen, that I've known, are living as they go throughout their school, as they go throughout their education with an increasing amount of pressure and anxiety because they've got the wrong purpose. Let us bless our kids. And kids, if you're tracking with me, let us remember why Jesus sent you to school. He's given you an amazing opportunity and a gift to grow, to learn, to develop, to receive from him so you can love and bless the world. There is purpose without the pressure. Jesus doesn't need us. His purpose is sure, firm, and reliable, but he chooses to use us. Let's apply this quickly and finally to vocation. Much of what I've said about education can apply to vocation. In the past, when you worked, you would just, what's the purpose? It's to survive. I'm growing stuff in the ground. I'm raising animals. I'm just surviving. But purpose in our modern and technological world has become, or vocation has become about purpose more and more. A recent poll found that 70% of people said it's their work and their job that gives them purpose. And from the reading I've done, with all this talk of the great resignation or people trying to figure out their relationship to work, what employees are looking for most is not more pay or the ability even to work from home or more benefits. They're looking for a sense of purpose. There are many vocations and jobs that have great value and great purpose. But here's what Jesus is saying to us about our vocation. We don't get our purpose from our jobs. We bring our purpose into our jobs. The purpose to take all that we have been given by grace through Jesus Christ and serve and bless. Yes, with excellence. Yes, with faithfulness. But not to gain power, recognition, approval, or to hold on to our security. But friends, in light of the purpose of Jesus, we have all the security in the world we could ever need and want. We are children of our Heavenly Father, safe and secure in Him because Jesus fulfilled His purpose for us and it cost Him everything. It is secure, it is firm. And so we can work, we can fulfill our purpose with great, great purpose, but without all the pressure. Jesus' purpose is firm, it is reliable. He doesn't need us, but he chooses to use us. Let's pray that we'd understand this more and more. Father, thank you for this prayer that your son prayed for us, that as you sent him into the world, so you sent us. We pray we would receive that as the challenge it is, but also the freedom that it gives to us, knowing that we are not here to make our name we are not even here to earn our security, to gain our power or our significance, but we have all of that in Jesus, and I pray we'd be set free to be sent, to be more sent to the places you already have placed us to live and to be and to the people you have put into our lives. Set us free to use what you've given us to bless and serve them well. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.